Good morning and welcome back. I am here with my longtime friend, Elaine Mason. Elaine, how are you? I am doing great. I am glad it's Friday. <laughs> I am glad it's Friday as well. And I am so glad we were able to have this conversation. We reconnected recently and we talked about what you're doing there at Splunk. Before we get into adaptive teams and the exciting stuff that you have going over there, you mind introducing yourself a bit and uh, you know what we're going to be talking about today? Sure, no problem. So Elaine Mason, I've been at Splunk for about, gosh, 13 months. So we're a relative Splunk newbie, or as we call ourselves, Splunkers. Um, I oversee all things talent. So everything talent acquisition, how we get our pre-Splunkers, um, all the way through to what the talent experience is like at Splunk. And we're definitely in a build phase at Splunk, and we're kind of building everything from either uh, off the, like the initial stuff the organization put in a decade ago or trying stuff that's brand new. And Al, what we're talking about today is trying something that's brand new uh, to try to address some of the transformational change and hyper growth that we're experiencing at the organization. Well, I mean, we have so much ah, going on with obviously COVID. Now there's a war in Ukraine and there are all these disruptions that are happening. There's been research that I know you are familiar with uh, around well-being, uh, you know, how women have been affected. Uh, you're also, uh, I love the way you raise it, a practical idealist, you know, yeah. so you know, <laughs> given all this change that's happening, I know, having known you for a long time, you're constantly creating, you're constantly innovating, you're constantly uh, not content with, you know, just what we've done, you know, last year and, and the year before. So I was really excited about what you are doing with team development and the application of design thinking. So do you want to introduce, you know, the impetus for that and what it means to you? Yeah, well, Al, you actually started to pull on what I would say is the red thread of why we're going this way and trying something different out at Splunk. Um, I have yet to find anybody that's telling me their organization or their lives or even their day-to-day -day has been stable for quite a while. Like, I can't find a single person that feels that way. Most people are feeling that change keeps accelerating. Most people are feeling that um, prediction about change, like what's coming, is becoming fuzzier and fuzzier. Um, so um, at Splunk, we were no different. Um, and the nexus of this came from actually a significant amount of leadership change. If you look at Splunk over the last, gosh, I've been here, like I said, a little over a year. The organization over the last two years has had massive change at its senior leader level and the levels below that. And that just cascades straight to an org. And um, what we, to your point on, I, I don't seem to rest on the um, what's been done before. We had been doing a lot of work on very well-established work um, in teams that was based on, based on Tuckman's work in, the 1960, in 1965, and it wasn't sticking. It wasn't getting us to where we wanted to go, which was teams with high psychological safety and teams that are trusting. Uh, so um, I don't know if you want me to tell the whole story, Al, but, um, but it, it was basically trying to crack the nut of how to get teams to become higher trust teams, faster performing teams, kind of what I would joke about is, can we buzz through Tuckman in like a day? Is that possible? Can we just get to like performing in a day? Um, and that was the how might we that we started building out at Splunk, which was how might we get teams to perform a much faster clip and self-heal as people go in and out? Well, yeah, the self-healing, let's pick up on that because there's all this language out there around self-directing teams. There's agile teams. There's 
agiles, you know, scrum and all that, uh, the term adaptive, and I want to bring this up, you know, where does that come from and why is that what you chose to frame this initiative around? Yeah, uh, it's a great question, Al. Uh, you know, when I came to the organization, one of the first challenges that was presented to me was working with our executive leadership team. Uh, so, you know, I would not call it low stakes poker. Um, and <laughs> what what we were what we were seeing was the team. Almost every time the team was meeting, they had a new member, um, and that and the, we were trying to figure out well, what would you call how this team needs to be? And uh, the frame we landed on was this team needs to be able to adapt and adapt at speed. Um, and not only and the idea of adaptation was that it keeps need, needing to morph and change, but it also needs to have some grounded like root of how it's going to morph and change. So mm -hmm. we're, we weren't talking about um, it's not far off from agile teams, but agile often, to your point, gets assumed to be about a scrum team and about a software team. This yep. is an executive leadership team that every time members came in, members came out, yet they needed to be high performing for the sake of the organization. Yeah. Um, so it's okay. They need to know how to adapt and quite frankly, adapt at speed. Um, and that was where the adaptive came from. Um, but it could be, I'm quite sure somebody with much more branding and marketing experience with me could have called it, you know, change ready teams or flexible team. And there are probably a dozen other terms we could have used. But what started to stick with our executive leaders was that idea of we want to be able to adapt. Uh, we want to be right. that, you know, we want to be that chameleon like type of org. Well, you know, am I going to be able to pull it up uh, quickly? Oh, right there. Um, if I went, re reached for it, I'd probably bring down 10 books. But uh, I have to call out Michael Arena's adaptive space because yep. you know, he has taken the same uh, word and built, you know, for similar reasons, I imagine, you know, that construct is how do we adapt? How do we flex and move over time? And I want to bring up, you know, the Tuckman's stages of group development you want to speak to this in in yeah. relation to what you just shared yeah so here's here's this is actually the challenge we're facing in a, in a nut um so most of us know tuckman uh forming storming norming performing then adjourning um is actually kind of the typical phases that uh tuckman created and absolutely were accurate typically organizations or teams or groups over time go through these stages and um the thing that was getting us kind of knotted up at splunk was that little dotted line thing you're seeing between norming and storming. And that the organization, every time you brought in a new person, every time you add a new person, your team effectiveness goes down, you go back to storming, and you sit in storming. And the challenge with storming, and all of us have experienced this, whether we labeled it or not, storming is where you have team conflict, you have respect issues, you have role clarity issues, your responsibility clarity issues, there's a low degree of trust. And the, the process of storming is what gets you through to resolving conflict, clarity on roles, and establishing trust. But if you're constantly restorming, you never get to that, you know, the, 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 you know, the top of the hill. You just get stuck pushing that string. Um, and that was where we were every time we added a new person. And correct me if I'm wrong, you're adding new people all the time. So yeah, I mean, we're hyper growth. So as a company, we're adding people and with attrition due to the great resignation, we're adding people and taking people out all the time. And it was happening at every layer in every leadership team and every team. Um, so if every team in every organization is dealing with attrition, and my guess is most of your listeners are dealing with attrition right now at higher rates than before, and means every team is changing. That means you may have entire companies, entire organizations stuck in storming, which means 
They are not able to establish degrees of trust. They are not able to give a sense of autonomy and agency so people can actually decide, you know, flourish and be able to grow. Um, and this goes back to Dan Pink's uh, framework from Drive over 20 years ago that what people look for to stay engaged is purpose, autonomy, and mastery. Mm-hmm. And people can be really good at their job, that idea of like going deep and knowing what they know. It can be purpose, which is I understand um, how not only where I fit into the org, but making meaningful progress against meaningful goals. And autonomy, I know what I'm allowed to do, not allowed to do, what's in the walls of my responsibility. If you're in constant storming, you probably aren't clear on where you're trying to go and making meaningful progress. And you're probably not all that clear on what the rules of the game are. And if you don't know the rules of the game and you don't know how to make progress, you're probably not engaged. So at a time where all of these organizations, and Splunk is one of them that wants to retain our top talent, we are in a situation due to attrition, due to like, you know t- turnover, and in our case, due to hypergrowth, that it all becomes unstable and people can't find out what the rules of the game are to be able to be engaged and be performing teams. So this required something different and you created you know, something different. So I'm pulling up now is this uh, construct around the adaptive team. Do you want to walk us through this? Sure. Happy to. So um, we, we took a bet and we decided to try something a little crazy and say, okay, what brings, if we want to solve for this idea of being stuck in storming, what you need to do is be able to give people some of those things that we talked about. Storming is supposed to accelerate you through. You want to make sure that people have agency. You want to make sure that people have, um, you know, people have the ability to kind of trust and build trust. You want to have the ability to be in a safe space to make mistakes. Essentially, how do you put the accelerator on psychological safety? Um, and I was working with an organization called Box, Better Organizations by Design, who is it's a design thinking organization design firm. And we were like, you know, what did design thinking give you? I'm like, hmm, well, let's think for a second. Well, design thinking has, and most people are aware of the phases of design thinking, but psychologically, what happens when you're using design thinking is it engages the emotional brain, it's anchored in empathy, it creates space for vulnerability, and it can create a ripple effect around other people. Those are almost the exact same elements of what's required to create psychological safety. So we're like, hmm, what happens if you put team dynamics and slam it together with design thinking and what it would look like? And this is where we came up with this this model of, well, you, an adaptive team would be one that is able to self-monitor and monitor others. It's a team that has a bias toward action, that agency idea. And the key on this that connects to design thinking is their ability to test and learn and always iterating and always adapting. And what we chose to do was rather than have our teams as, as new people would come in, you go through another round of team building. We used using design thinking techniques actually solve for real business issues and created the space for them to be self-aware and to demonstrate self-awareness, to be able to experiment and to try stuff out, and then have the agency and know their role in that. Um, it also created a number of side effects like co-ownership of decisions. Um, so it, it acted as a safe way to drive more psychological safety quickly and to accelerate the team. I, I wouldn't say we went from like zero to 60, um, from the, you know, the, the storming to norming, but we probably went from like, you know, zero to sounded like, you know, we were in the school zone. We were probably around 25 miles per hour. Um, <laughs> and it just started accelerating them a little bit more quickly. And what was more important was when a new person came in, they started to shift toward, okay, we're going to try solving another big problem, go back into the same rhythm of design thinking. So design thinking became the stable frame that everyone can kind of work in and create that stable space. 
Um, and there's never a shortage of problems teams need to solve. Like that's why we're here. Right. So it created kind of a, a, a safe, predictable frame for, for teams to then be able to grow and accelerate in. Um, and that was why we, we tried to put them together. And what we also wanted to do, and this is that self-healing part is I run a very small team, scale is a challenge. We didn't want this thing to be so darn complex that our HR business partners couldn't lead this with teams or over time teams themselves would be able to lead it. Um, and that's actually the journey we're on right now is how do we scale it? And what's been neat for us is um, we've been finding with our HR business partners here, the aptitude for being empathetic and leading a design, leading teams through a design thinking experience has been very high. Their energy around it has been off the charts high. Um, and the client groups, so our businesses internally that are working through this type of model are saying things like, we've never experienced this before. I know my team members more. We got more done in three hours than we've got done in those three-day team building sessions before. Um, and the prep for us, we actually built a kit, and Caroline Jing on my team has been leading this charge. We built a, a kit for this that um, really takes us maybe about 60 to 90 minutes to walk our HR business partners through, and they're able to actually run it with the clients. My next step in my organization is, well, we don't really have so many business partners. How do we have team leaders say, oh, new member of the team, let's do a problem solving session. Let's use these design thinking uh, frames and tools to help us drive faster psychological safety, faster performance, help us get through. So they become then the, uh, the ultimate ambition is self-healing. <laughs> wow. I, what I'm hearing is that you're less around pushing forth a bunch of content that you hope lands and hits the mark and providing a framework for an experience that will allow them to focus on the issues that are top of mind for them and co-create an outcome. So there's a heightened level of ownership. And I'm assuming here that there might be some guidance on how those interactions take place. Maybe yeah. growth mindset. When you talk about psychological safety, that doesn't happen because you just use the word. Um, before I bring <laughs> up, you know, what is an adaptive design thinking process, the language that you're using there to maintain uh, psychological safety, you know, what are some of the uh, words, some of the models that you might be using to help people truly hold each other in kindness and compassion and curiosity. Yeah, I think the two key words that we use at Splunk, um, well, I should first tell you a little bit about Splunk culture or Splunkdom. Um, this is a company that was built on relationships and built on genuinely caring about people as whole people. Um, and even through COVID, in fact, probably amplified through COVID, we have found more and more of our Splunkers are really kind of honing in and toning in their empathy. And in fact, in our first year of first year half of COVID, where this organization almost pivoted the entire HR function was really about uh, Splunker wellness, both psychological wellness, physical wellness, emotional well-being. So words that Splunk like trust, words that Splunk like empathy were already in our vernacular. And the other word that was in our vernacular, um, two other words that were in our vernacular, one was innovation, like willingness to try things and fail at things, which helps you get to kind of more growth mindset based. It's more you learn through doing. But the other thing that's always been part of Splunk language has been fun. Um, and quite frankly, solving problems with lower, um, lower uh, resistance, trying new things out, coming from a place of kind of ideation and how might we is a way that people can have fun in their work because it's not limiting. It's, it's here's the, um, you know, here are the pipe cleaners and the glue. What do you want to make? Um, and I think that helped kind of lean into what was already in the culture 
to help us then kind of start building out the language of psychological safety and what it meant to be better team members and higher performing teams. Now, keep in mind now, like we are on a journey. We have not, we've not, you know, got to the, the, the view and seen every single team being spectacular. We're still in prototyping, experimenting phase. Um, in fact, we just had a Northwestern team from their MSLOC program um, just did a study of what do we need to get team effectiveness to kind of move down the court and what about adaptive teams that we're trying will work and what are the pieces we're missing. Um, and we're actually trying to figure out right now, it's like, okay, we're, we've gone from, we couldn't do zero to 60 to go to norming, but we're kind of at, you know, the school zone, 15, 20 miles an hour. What will it take us to get to 30 miles an hour? How do we help us move faster? Um, so the, the language we worked on and the language we use is largely language that was here. We're just mm -hmm. linking and labeling that language to the experience, that language to what's important and not reinventing or trying to um, push anything that could be perceived as kind of a, a philosophy down the throats of our splunkers. Wow. That's uh, inspiring. I just, I mean, literally, I was sitting here getting a chill. I'm like, all right, where do I apply? I, I'm in. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it actually echoes... Uh, and not everyone's going to uh, get this, but John Wooden, the late great UCLA basketball coach talked about, it's not what you teach, it's what you emphasize. Yep. And what I'm hearing is that you're emphasizing this and providing some uh, context for how it's actually put into practice. Cause so many of us have gone through learning experiences. Hey, that was great, but it had no tail to it. It had no capability building in so far as it didn't live with me day to day. And it sounds like yeah. that's what you're building. You're building a muscle, a way of interacting that's going to have a long tail that's going to stay with not only the individual, but for the team for an extended period of time. So certainly celebrate yeah. that. Yeah, I want to it bring is. up and this depiction. Uh, I'm sorry. You, no, you, you go ahead. You're going to say something. This is actually direct. It, it, you, you anticipated perfectly. So one of the cores to design thinking is the concept of how might we? And you asked earlier, what's new language? that we didn't intentionally put into the organization, but has evolved as a result of trying this with teams. Any team that's been going through the adaptive teams kind of process with us has actually started to just use that terminology when we're not in the room, which is what you want, which is, you know, how might we? That in itself creates permission to think from a design thinking perspective, which is why bringing up the slide made sense. I can actually, and most people I would guess on this may be familiar with design thinking. Um, and there are, there's no perfect, there's no perfect frame to how to do design thinking, but the way we applied it into the adaptive team model was these um, five kind of phases. Just to be really clear, design thinking is nonlinear. You may be in phase one, two, three, and go back to one. It can it can flex around a lot. Think of it much more like puzzle pieces, much less like um, a single threaded process. Um, but we usually start with empathy. Again, something that's natural and embedded in most of our splunkers, but it's understanding. It's understanding your current state needs to put it into what, what more teams would usually say. Then you start thinking about what do we need to solve for? And, um, you know, the phrase that I would usually use with people is like, you know, if we don't do this, what happens? So we can get really clear on what are we trying to solve for? And then you get to ideation. And this is the freedom, the innovation, the fun, which is, you know, how might we? How might we change the world? How might we solve for what's going on? Um, for COVID in our organization. And then we usually did some testing and we prototyped. And in fact, the adaptive teams process itself has gone through this process. Then we prototyped it. What did we learn? How do we, you know, we put it, put it in place, tried it out, tested. What are we learning? What's missing? That's what our, our Northwestern folks are doing with us. And, and, and get comfortable with the fact we're going to learn as we do. Um, also keep in mind adult learning, although people used to love 
being an instructor-led, and I think now everyone's hoping to be back in an instructor-led environment, we know adults learn through experience. This is a, this is a shared experience that these, these teams learn through. And then ultimately you get to decide, did what we test work for us? Did this actually solve for something? Is this something we wanna expand on? And what we found is teams that kind of get really comfortable with this, this cycle and this kind of set of experiences are starting to make decisions faster, are starting to go through trust faster, are starting to be able to get to outcomes faster, are starting to be able to move as an organization faster. And that is precisely what we're trying to get through. They can adapt and change over time, even when new members join. Yeah. <laughs> I literally, I want to go through this experience. That, that's my reaction <laughs> right now. Um, I also am just curious how well socialized the concept of design thinking was beforehand. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion around applying design thinking in HR uh, from process design to creating uh, technologies or even you know, dashboards and things like that uh, for certain personas throughout uh, an organization. But to apply it to a training experience, a learning experience, I just, I have some assumptions here that, oh, wow, we're going to apply design thinking. I can say, hey, that's really cool because I've always been curious to engage in that type of process. The other part of me can the cynical part might, oh gosh, okay, here's another fad. Here's just some yep. like management <laughs> consulting deal. You know, where was the kind of appetite to adopt this approach? It sounds like it was well-received, but going in, was there a familiarity with design thinking processes? Yeah, great question. And yeah, I'm not a fan of flavor of the month. Um, I started using design thinking in my own uh, practice as an HR practitioner more than 15 year years ago. And I've seen the HBR articles going, design thinking solves everything. And then about two months, two years later, it's design thinking is, is passe and useless. Um, it's one, one frame that an organization can use to think through problems and to think through how organizations work. Um, and at Splunk, it was not well socialized. It was language that was new, um, but here's where it connects the dots. And this is why I don't, I don't care if we said it Splunk, we didn't say it at Splunk, actually, like you're going to get trained in design thinking. What we said at Splunk was we're going to help you adapt as a team faster. Um, so my my ambition was not to train everyone in design thinking. It was kind of uh, using what they already did in in the wild, in their org, and applied it in a frame. And the thing that was already here was a massive amount of empathy and customer centricity. And when you mm -hmm. use any form of design thinking practice, design thinking is always, they call it human-centered design. It's usually customer-centered design. So it naturally fit the vocabulary already in the org. It was just, un, it was just untamed. It was just mm. in different spots and used in different ways. I'm a big, I mean, I, I, I swear by culture eat strategy for breakfast. And because of that, over the last, you know, 20 years of my career in the HR space, I'm always looking at, so what is the culture? Lean in. Um, mm -hmm. Every time I've been in an organization that attempts to kind of go and change the strategy first, you do not get to a great outcome. But if you lean into the culture and lean into the culture's strengths, you can make extraordinary things happen. The, the organization was ripe for using design thinking as a technique because they already had the core values in. Mm. Um, so, that now, so I don't care if anyone at Splunk ever says the word design thinking. I don't get commission from my DO. I don't get commission from the, the, the D school. Not my deal. Um, it's really much more of, although great organizations, let me be straight, but, um, but this is, this is still in my mind. This is, it was not about that. It was about giving them 
a way out of what they were experiencing, which was the constant churn and swirl, leaning into what they were already good at, which was focusing on the customer, being empathetic, coming up with crazy ideas and feeling permission to do so and mm-hmm. giving them a way to, to learn at the end of it going, hey, we just did this. That worked for us. We should do more of that. Right. Yes. I, a question just came in um, from Helena. I'm going to put it up on the screen so you can see it. Uh, can this be used on dysfunctional teams? What are your thoughts there? <laughs> well, um, anyone who's worked with me for a hot minute has probably heard me use the phrase, everyone's dysfunctional. It's just a question of self-awareness. Um, so yeah, teams, teams are no different. Um, most teams have some level of dysfunction. It, it's, I think it's all about degrees of dysfunction. Um, if you have a team of people that are completely not self-aware, that are backbiting and trying to, to you know, really make significant uh, negative consequences on each team member, I suspect this is a little too, um, uh, a little too pie in the sky, a little bit too um, ambitious for that team. Uh, if you have a leader that wants to change the organization and is willing, or the team, and is willing to do some behaviors we look for from great leaders, like create, you know, having meaningful dialogues, making sure that feedback is is heard and seen, having those hard conversations. I could see a scenario where if the leader and the HR business partner or the combo work with each person, they could try out working as an adaptive team on a specific problem as a way to help people see another way of working together. But if you have a bunch, if you have a 10 person team and everyone is completely unself-aware and backstabbing, I doubt this is magic. I don't think it's going to get them over that line. <laughs> No, no, I, I, you know, I agree for what it's worth. I also believe that if something is brought to a team that is struggling, that is new, that's proven, that leverages some of what they've heard in the popular press that might instill confidence and and hope that I think the propensity to engage would be higher than (laughs) just, you know, picking up something off the shelf and again, latest fad and and so forth. So I think the use of language in so far as the adaptive space, you know, to leverage what Michael Arena's coined, but at the same time, you know, that's reality. We do have to yep. adapt. And if I, if you are, are going to provide an experience where I can be better at that individually and collectively, then bring that on because that's that's real yeah. life, right? Well, Alan, I think the key to that is that self awareness piece. Like mm. I know I need to figure out how to adapt to be better, to get further, to do what's what what hits what's important to me. Mm. Then, oh, that's going to help me get better at that. I have a selfish interest in doing it. If someone is completely not self aware. Um, I would love to say, you know, completely not self-aware and not aware of what's important to them. I think it's a bridge too far and shocking to me, Al. Of course, you're self-aware. Of course, you know, the world has to be adaptive. I would expect no less from you. Um, <laughs> it's one of the things, reasons why I love working and getting to know you for the years we've been talking. Um, so yeah, um, agreed. It, it does. It, that's the, it's, it's another reason why calling it design thinking teams would not have been nearly as meaningful as what the outcome was that we're trying to get to. The outcome mm. is not about everyone knows design thinking. The outcome is people and teams know how to adapt. Yeah. Well, absolutely love it. Um, congratulations on what you're what you've achieved there. And I know you have this humility and you've said earlier that you're on a journey, but I think certainly from my perspective, it's taking not only Splunk in the right direction, but I think it's gonna inspire others to be more creative in how they use language, how they use design thinking, how they create team building experiences moving forward. So yeah, thank you for your contribution to the community. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you 
in person very soon. Hopefully that's not uh, too long. But how can people learn more about you and what you're doing there at Splunk? Uh, well, easiest thing is to go into LinkedIn. Um, I'm kind of a, I'm, I'm a voracious reader and therefore voracious poster, um, poster, not poser. Um, and also um, organizations you may want to look into, um, Better Organizations by Design, which is, it's called Boxed, B-O-X-D. Um, they're the partner that I worked with and kind of thought this idea through with me. Um, and then uh, just, you know, I think we'll keep it splunk, uh, starting to get our once we really feel confident in our data, we're going to start kind of because we're a data company, we'll start being more public about, hmm, this is really working. This is how we can prove it's really working. I'd love to get to a place where I can prove that organizations that use this kind of adaptive thinking, that those organizations or those team members have like lower attrition rates, that they have higher engagement rates. That's kind of the data set we're trying to pull together. Once we have that, we have something really powerful that we can actually share with others and have others use and do. So uh, that's the game plan. Well, again, keep up the great work. I, I'll say this as we wrap. Um, you have inspired me over the years, and today is a perfect example as to why. So, you know, keep being your awesome self. And, uh, you know, again, look forward to talking with you and hopefully seeing you in person uh, before too long. Sounds great. Right back at you, Al. Always a pleasure. <laughs> All right, Elaine. All right. Be well. Bye bye. Cheers. Thanks for joining us. Bye bye.